I'll never, ever forget the moment. And the reason I won't forget it is because it was probably one of the most frightening experiences of my life. I was helping at a, at a week of events at Nottingham University. The aim was to tell as many students as possible the good news of the Lord Jesus. The message that Jesus is preaching in chapter 4, verse 17, just look down. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One of my roles was to help at a lunch bar and to chat to students about my Christian faith. During the week, there was one young student who would appear every day. It was clear that he was very bright, yet bolshy and a little cocky. Every day he would return with another difficult question for me to answer. And it soon became clear that his main aim was to catch me out, maybe make me look a little bit silly, a little bit foolish. I was doing my best not to get into a sort of tug, a verbal tug of war with him. Instead, what I was trying to do was trying to stand back and ask the question, what was it behind him? What was behind the questions that he was asking? What was it behind the questions that he was pumping at me with the aim of trying to make me look silly and foolish? And as we were talking, I asked him a question. Jim, I said to him, Mate, were you bullied at school? Were you bullied? At that moment, it was as if the world, the whole earth stood still. Jim, is that why you want to win every argument? Is that why you want to make me look foolish? At that moment, all these clever arguments, they just instantly dried up. All the bolshiness, the cocky attitude, it just melted away. And what I was left with was a broken person. It felt at that point as if I could see into his very soul I felt at that point like I had a power that I could direct him literally any way I wanted. I had a power over him that I found utterly frightening. A power that I never wanted again. It was genuinely very, very scary. You know, power is neutral. Something that can be used for great good or something that can be used for untold evil. We see that all the time in the media. And we've seen some very tragic examples of that this week, haven't we? Now, as we saw last week in chapters 1 to 4, Matthew reveals to us that Jesus is God's king. And as God's king, the main quality that marks him out is what? Immeasurable, limitless unique, divine power. The last story that we see in chapter 4 that we just had read to us 
reveals to us that kind of power. Just scan your eyes down again. Look at verse 23. Every disease. Verse 24. His preaching is all over Syria. Verse 24. All who were ill. All the diseases. Jesus' power is immeasurable when he preaches. Limitless power to heal any and every sickness and disease. Unique power to cast out the demons. Sometimes his power he touches, but usually he just has to speak. Immeasurable, limitless, unique, divine power. He's walking along and he just says, come follow me. Instantly they arose and followed him. It's as if Jesus' power is just at the end of his fingertips. He is just fully drenched with power. Now, I'm not going to compare what happened to me in Nottingham with God's king, but it did feel like a very tiny taste. The kind of power that Jesus had was a million miles away from what I experienced in Nottingham, for he is God and I'm not. And if you read through all the Gospels, what you see is when Jesus meets people, it's clear that when Jesus meets anybody, it's clear that he can see right in to their very souls. All of their bad motives, everyone, every motive, good or bad, all the hidden thoughts, Jesus can see right into them. His power in every sense is immeasurable, limitless, unique, and divine. A power that's safe in the hands of God, but not in ours. Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely, except when it's in the power, hands of God's king. A power that's safe in the hands of God, but not ours. And again, can I encourage you to read through Matthew's gospel? We're going to have some at the end. And as you read all the way through, what you see is time and time again, Jesus displaying this limitless power, but it's always, always to restore people to wholeness. His unique power is always to help people flourish, to redeem them, to bring them back to what they were created to be, whole and flourishing human beings made in the image of God. So when Jesus calls you and me to follow him, when Jesus tells us to go and catch people for his kingdom, what does he mean? Well, the aim and impact of what he means is found in verses 13 to 16. Just look down at there. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. When we, when you, when I, when we follow the Lord Jesus, Jesus is saying, you will be like salt, light, and a city on a hill. That's what you're going to be like. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be like salt, light, and a city on a hill? When you follow the king, Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you'll never, ever go unnoticed. You'll be like those three things, salt, light, and a city on a hill. I remember a few years ago, 
I was doing some youth work at Word Alive, which is a big meeting of something like 6,000 Christians getting together. And I was leading the 11 to 14s team. And I had a team that I thought loved me, or at least liked me. I went to get my meal. I, I got my meal, and then I went to get something else, came back, took a swig of the tea, and they'd filled it with salt. So, of course, you spit it out. Salt never goes unnoticed. Light never goes unnoticed. You're driving along and you see a city on a hill. It never goes unnoticed. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, the way to catch people is to listen to this sermon and to obey it. You see, Jesus wants us to have power, but it's not power like his, immeasurable, limitless, and unique. It's not power to heal and raise the dead. I don't think he trusts us with that. You see, Jesus wants to change us in our characters. What we're really like on the inside. He's a saviour who has come to take the punishment for our selfishness upon the cross. Our selfishness towards God. When we live, when we live, as if the one who made the sun, moon and stars is irrelevant. I mean, how selfish towards your maker can you get than that? Our selfishness that we daily infect other people's lives with. Remember, following Jesus is an invitation from him. It's an invitation to have your character, the real you, change so that you reflect him. Reflect him in the most important relationships you have. You see, the sermon that Jesus is going to preach in, verses, in chapters 5 to 7 What I want you to get today, this is the main thing, this is the big thing, is that at its very heart is the the fatherhood of God. That's at the very heart of his sermon. Jesus will show that his followers forget one really, really important thing. And they constantly forget it. And when you forget it, it dominates your behavior towards other human beings. And the thing we constantly forget is that we are loved, dearly loved children. We forget that, and instead of living as dearly loved children, we live as if we're forgotten orphans. You see, when we live as loved children, we'll be like the Lord Jesus. He knew he was the loved son of God. When we live like loved children, we will never go unnoticed. We will be like salt, light, and a city on a hill. When we forget that, and we live like forgotten orphans, then... You'll be just like everybody else. You live like a loved child, you'll be like salt, light, and a city on a hill. You live like a forgotten orphan, you'll be just like everybody else. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, what you actually see is that Jesus refers to God, the fa- God as Father 16 times. Constantly saying, you want to understand how you behave, then you've got to get that God is your loving father. You are a loved child. You're not a forgotten orphan. Now, sadly, we don't have time to look at these verses. So we will look at just the first beatitude and we will see how it relates to God being our father. Now, remember, the aim of the sermon is to change your character, the real you, what you're like on the inside. That's what Jesus wants to change. And the way that Jesus does that is to show you that you are a loved child and not a forgotten orphan. You see, the first base Jesus wants to cover regards 
our very entrance into his kingdom, how we actually become a Christian, if you like. Look at verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step to becoming a Christian is that you begin to see two things in much clearer focus. Before you were a Christian, these two things seemed totally out of focus. They're utterly blurred. They're nearly impossible to see. They're a little bit like watching something on YouTube with a terrible Wi-Fi reception. What's it like when you're sitting? Everything's blurred. You can't quite see what's going on. When you become a Christian, these two things, you suddenly get into right focus. And the two things are this. What God is like and what you are like. Before you're a Christian, you, you can't really see those two things. It's all blurred. You become a Christian and you see clearly what God is like and you see clearly what you're like. You see that the Lord Jesus is immeasurable, limitless, unique and divine with his power. The Lord Jesus' character and personality, what he's like on the inside, you see is utterly, utterly attractive. See, when you look at the Gospels and you read through, you see the Lord Jesus and he always, always puts others' needs before his own. Whatever pressure he's under, he's always complete, which is so different to you and me. You see, you see our incompleteness, the way that we don't treat others always selflessly in so many different ways. Let me give you one little illustration. It's only a little illustration, but it's a little illustration this week. Thursday night, I'm going to see my beloved West Ham. Okay, and then my wife says to me, I've hurt my leg. Do you mind if you take Amaya, my seven-year-old granddaughter, to swimming? I look outside. It's pouring down with rain. I think, oh, no. And then, so I start taking her out. She says, go take her swimming. So it's about 20 minutes walk. So we start walking. It's pouring down with rain. I'm getting wet. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to be wet while I was watching West Ham. This isn't very nice. And then I'm, t- got my, I'm holding my, the, the hand on my seven-year-old daughter. And what do you do? I'm getting frustrated. So then I start walking a little bit too quickly for a seven-year-old. Then I start, come, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Who's, who's getting the blame for my frustration? And then we get there, and it's the wrong swimming pool. <laughs> and then what's happening in Trevor's heart? What's happening in Trevor's heart is actually nobody's fault, but what am I doing? I'm looking for someone else to blame. Because that's how our hearts work. Can't be my fault. The Lord Jesus, whatever pressure he's under, he's always other people-centred. The Lord Jesus speaks truth, whatever pressure he's under, he's always utterly complete. He never loses his temper, however unkind or vicious people are towards him. He's utterly complete. And the Father says to us, that's my standard. Not in the miracles, but in his character. You see the beauty when you're converted. You see the brilliance of the Lord Jesus and realize that you are totally incomplete in all those areas and many, many more. Before a perfect, complete, selfless God, you are bankrupt. You are poor. 
Before a perfect, complete, selfless God, you have nothing to offer. In your bank account, in your bank balance, it's not that it's empty, it's just it's full of so much wrong stuff. It's full of your own sin, my own sin, selfishness, brokenness, failings. And the father comes to you and he says, I know. I know. I know it's full of all of that. I see it all. I see every action and the hidden motives behind them. I see it all. And I've chosen still to love you. I've seen it all and I choose to forgive you. Remember the angel's message to a confused and doubting Joseph when he heard that Mary was pregnant? Just flip back to chapter 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The father says, I've sent my son the complete one, the perfect one, to die for you. And I did it when I knew everything about you. Everything about you. Through my son's death, you are forgiven. You are a loved child, adopted into my family. You're no longer an orphan. And you're certainly not forgotten. You are a loved child. Or to put it another way, you are part of my kingdom. You belong to my son. Verse 3, what are you? You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. And how blessed are you? You're blessed to a poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see yourself as the father does. Now, I want to ask this question. You see yourself as the Father does. What impact should that have on your life? If it doesn't have any impact on your life, then it's not worth knowing. Any theology that doesn't help you live on Monday morning is a waste of time, isn't it? How should it make you radically different from, the pe- from other people? How should it make you feel like, act like, be like, salt light in a city on a hill? There are many things, I just want to focus on one. Being poor in spirit, seeing yourself as the Father does, frees you. Oh, does it free you. It frees you from the trap and the prison cell of living your life for the approval and the acceptance of others. Being poor in spirit saves you from living your life for the, for the approval of your peer group. The approval of your office, your boss, your friends, your family. If you just scan your eye, just turn to chapter 6, just scan your eye down chapter 6, and what you will see is Jesus choosing three really good things, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And just think, if, if there was three really important things in your life, Jesus would probably pick on the same sort of things. And what is Jesus encouraging his disciples to do? He's, he's saying, don't act like a forgotten orphan. Don't let others 
Decide your worth. Don't play the acceptance of other people game. If you do these things to impress others, then you don't get any reward. No, no, you do get a reward. You get a reward from mortal human beings who are made just like you, broken and fallen. You'll get their, you'll get their applause. But what does the Father want you to have? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. This is what he wants you to have. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Instead, don't act like an orphan. Don't live for the praise of other people. That's acting like an orphan. Don't do that. Instead, chapter 6, verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you are, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, the one who made everything, sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So you've got a choice. You've got a choice. Praise the men and women. In 100 years' time, we'll all be dead. Or you've got a reward from your heavenly father who made, who is eternal, has always been and always will be. What do you want, Jesus says? You see, the orphan lives their life looking to the praise of others. Look at, turn on, look at chapter 7, verse 11. This is the father who wants to reward you. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, an orphan lives their life looking to others for approval. But the loved child slowly learns to live their life before an audience of one, their father. He knows me completely, through and through. All the good bits, all the bad bits, and all the mixed up bits in between. He knows them, he sees them all. The motives that lurk deep within my heart that often I don't even understand. He sees them all and he does understand them. I come before him, poor in spirit. And this reality changes how I relate in all of my relationships. I want you to just ponder for a moment and consider all the relationships you're in. Or maybe let's just think, maybe just think of even the best ones. And what you'll see is the way that we relate, the way that our hearts teaches us to relate, the way that our culture teaches us to relate is this, is it's nearly always works-based, hardly ever grace-based. In all of our relationships, they're nearly always work-based, they're not grace-based. So let's think about it. You start a new school, you start a new job. Maybe you're a student here and you're starting a new university. When we go into a new situation... If you're anything like me, our default position, the way that our culture and our hearts have shaped us, is that we seek to work out how things work here, therefore how I will fit in, and how I'll be accepted, how I'll be loved. You go into a new environment and you work it out. What's going on here? How are people relating? How am I going to be loved? How am I going to be accepted? How has my behavior got to change so that I am loved and accepted? And that's works-based. You work it out so you can plan how to fit in to make yourself accepted. Now, at one level, that's okay. But where it goes wrong, of course, 
is that your worth is now held and your behavior at times is held in the hands of whom? Those around you. So how you act and how you are, your worth is dependent on their acceptance or their rejection. And what do we do when we're not accepted or we're not loved or we don't fit in? Well, here's just three things. We might retreat. We might feel crushed. We might hit out. I've done all. But as you realize your poverty of spirit and the Father's deep love for you, that you're a loved child and not an orphan, and slowly you begin to judge your worth and acceptance, not by what others think of you, but by your Father's love. He knows everything. Everything about you. So you no longer have to play up to other people's expectations. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we as an all souls church, family, community, when people came in here, they realized it's not about living up to other people's expectations. It's not about approval. You know, at work, you kind of have to impress. You go to all souls. Those Christians are different. There's no having to impress people. You just feel loved and accepted, which, of course, is a reflection of the Father who loves and accepts you. They're just so different. There's none a sort of competing or contrasting. They're so, so different. Slowly you wean yourself of living for the approval of others. Instead, you learn to enjoy more and more the Father's love. His love is what controls now more and more how you act towards others and not the acceptance or rejection of your peer group or your office or your classroom. Knowing you are loved by the Father means your behavior is molded by what he says and not by other people. Just look at chapter 5, verse 43. And the Lord Jesus has asked his disciples to do an impossible thing. An impossible thing unless you are daily receiving from the Father his love and grace, his acceptance and his showering of his love upon you. When you experience that, you can do this. If you don't, you can't. Only a person who knows they are loved by the Father can consistently do this. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not like the tax collector? You're just like everybody else. You're not salt, you're not light, you're not sitting on the hill. You're just like everybody else. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? You're not being salt and light, you're just like everybody. You're living like an orphan. An orphan doesn't receive love from the father. A loved child is daily getting everything they need, everything they need, like a sponge from your heavenly father. If you do that, then you can love your neighbor. You can love people who hate you. You can even pray for them. Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Now, can you see just how positive the gospel is? How radically it changes relationships for the better? We started today with Jim at the Nottingham Uni, a guy damaged by other people's sin and selfishness towards him, bullied at school, and the scars still deep. What would the Lord Jesus say to him? Well, well, Jesus might just say, well, let me change the question. What would Jesus say to you? You see, you might have scars similar to his. You might have scars maybe even deeper than his. Well, Jesus would, set, would point you to the Father's love. He would ask you to come to the cross to experience the healing, love and grace of God. A Father's love that's so deep that it can heal the scars. So you don't have to, Jim, go around having feeling you've got to win every argument. Jim, you don't have to do that anymore. You're loved by the Father. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to live like that. You come to God who made you, the Son who died to redeem you, to bring you back to what you were created to be, a loved child of God. The Father's love that gives you so much security, you don't have to act like a forgotten orphan. A love that's so deep, so rich, so real, you don't have to retreat, you don't have to hit out, you don't have to prove yourself to people anymore. A love that's so rich, you don't have to get your worth from your grades, God of grades, career, sporting success, or what I say to the young people, the three F's, face, figure, and fashion. People who truly understand the poverty of spirit are led only in one direction, and that's the Father's love. But you know, the challenge to us is we can't do that alone. The Lord Jesus teaches this sermon to his disciples as a whole. He wants them to be, as a whole, salt, light, and a city on a hill. Not as individuals, as a whole. Which is why we have the Connect Corner over there. So you can link up with God's people, your church family throughout the week. Whether it be through a life group, whether it be through students, whether it be through youth, whether it be through roots, whether it be through ladies' Bible study. There's so many different ways where you can link up with God's people, where you can talk about the Father's love, where as your character is being changed, you can share the Father's love, you can rejoice in the Father's love, and most importantly of all, together you can enjoy the Father's love. That's what you were created for. You were created to enjoy God. A place where those who are broken by their own sin or broken by other people's sin towards them, can really be healed and restored and redeemed. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the joy of having our sin shown to us by the Spirit. And he shows us our sin and darkness of our heart 
so that the brilliance and the beauty and the light of the Lord Jesus can be seen. And then once we see that, he wants to shower us, keep us enjoying that love so that our characters are changed and our relationships are revolutionized. Father, we often feel we're merely scratching the surface of understanding your love. Help us to understand it more clearly, that we truly are salt, light, and a city on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen.